The church is the body of Christ. It's our new identity in him. Whom we made into God's people, made into his character and his nature. And the church is the, is the place where he displays his purposes in the earth. As infallibly as we are, we are conduits really of a display of God's purposes in the world. So this morning we're talking about something truly radical. We're talking about something that goes against the grain of the prevailing culture in our day. Something that's not a popular message. Something potentially offensive, potentially polarizing. If it's taken outside of the context, the purpose of God displaying his character in and through the church. If what we talk about today, you have to to listen to this, if what we talked about today, if it's taken outside of the understanding that we are a part of his new humanity, part of his body, and that we're meant to reflect the relationship of Christ and the church, it won't make any sense, and it's going to be a hard pill to swallow. There are things in Scripture that are difficult. The passage today is one of those things. Now, um, it's, it's also one of those things that maybe if you are a wife, you're hoping your husband will really hear this message today. If you are a husband, you might be hoping that your wife will really hear this message today. I want to encourage you, don't do that. Don't have that perspective. You, you're not allowed to nudge the other because the reality is, is that just when you think, okay, this is what my spouse needs to hear, right after that you're going to hear what you really need to hear and I doubt you're going to want to be nudged. So this is a wonderful transformative passage that's meant to change who we are. It's meant to reflect who Christ is. It's meant to reflect the relationship that Jesus has with the church. So let's look to God's word and read it together. Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he might be whole, she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your divinely inspired words. Lord, thank you that you have breathed your words and that you've given us your words for our good, 
Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive from you. God, it is a hard call to hear how we are to live and love in response to the fact that you have loved us and made us members of your body. But God, thank you that you make living this radical way possible by your Holy Spirit that has changed us. Father, I pray that you would give us this morning the gift of humility, that we would be able to humble ourselves before your word, that we would receive from your word. Father, I pray that you would use your word to transform marriages in this church and in this community. God, I pray for grace to speak and grace to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. There are many marriages in trouble today, aren't there? In fact, humanity is in trouble. Mankind has problems. We need help. We need hope. Help and hope, it's not found in ourselves, though. We need to, redeem. We need to be redeemed. We need God to redeem our relationships. And in every area of our lives, we've been affected by sin. We've been affected by the world around us and the, and the way that fallen humanity views relationships. This scripture is meant to help us reorient our thinking to a biblical way of relating to each other. And the good news is that we have a redeemer in Christ Jesus. We need hope and we have hope in Jesus. He came to make all things new and he came to redeem our relationships as well. And maybe you're here this morning and you are married and you have a rotten marriage. There's hope for you in your marriage. God came to redeem your relationship. Maybe you came from a broken home and you're anticipating marriage. Maybe you're one of the three couples that has just gotten engaged. There is hope for marriage if you're anticipating marriage. If you're currently in marriage and you are the one who needs to change, there's hope for you to change in marriage as we see God's purpose for us in marriage. One of the most significant relationships that Christ came to redeem is the relationship of a husband and wife. It's one of the most foundational building block relationships of a society. And yet, we see that our society is having lots of challenges and problems today, primarily because we've left behind God's design for marriage. We've left behind the good news of Jesus Christ that transforms every relationship. And so as we encounter this, this is not just a set of commands. This is not just a set of, you live like this and do this and do that. No, this is how do we live out the good news of Jesus Christ that transforms every relationship that we have? How do we live out the gospel? This passage is not an easy one. It's fairly straightforward, but it's not easy. It's, it's, easy, it's not easy for wives, and it's not easy for husbands. Both are called to die to our own desires and to live for God in marriage, and in the transitional verse that, that starts off this passage in verse 21, Paul is saying that the, the framework for this is be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You see, all the, all the different roles in a family, they are to be subject in some way. And all the roles in a family are to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. With, with a knowledge that Jesus has transformed you. He has made you new. He has made you a part of his body. And because of that, it's meant to affect every relationship that you have. Everyone in the family is under authority. And everybody in the family is not free to live as we please. And so in the passage that we're looking at today, it addresses the roles of wives and addresses the roles of husbands. 
And the following passages, as we go in the next few weeks, is going to talk about what's the role of children, what's the role of parents, what's the role of, of servants and masters, how do we relate to each other, what does it look like to live in such a way that we carry out the good news in our relationships. Each of us in a family are meant to live in a manner that's aware of Christ, acknowledging him the way that we interact. And this idea, though, of being submitted to one another, of being subject to one another, it's not a popular idea. If you were to take a poll today and say, how many of you just love the idea of submitting to each other? I, I doubt that would just be something that really stirs us up. It doesn't get me really excited. I just love the idea of submitting to one another. Yeah, I just can't wait. Can you just, I, I'd love some ideas. Can you give me some ideas on how I can submit to each other? I just, nobody thinks that way naturally. But the motivation for thinking that way is out of reverence for Christ because he actually submitted his life to us to save us, to rescue us. He submitted his desires. He submitted his will. He submitted his preferences when he came to the earth really for our good to rescue us. And so it's out of that motivation saying, Jesus, because you have given all, because you've given your life, because you've submitted yourself for my good, I want to go and turn and love others in the same way. And so at the outset, though, I need to mention some things. I need to mention that this passage, it does address wives first. Wives, we're going we're to address you first because Scripture addresses you first in this passage in order. But there's about 50 words in three verses that address wives there's more than double that. You can rest assured. We're going to get to the husbands. There's more than double that that addresses the men. There's 110 words, six verses that addresses the men. The primary emphasis here is not on wives. Actually, the primary emphasis in the relationship is on the husband. Because he's the head, has more responsibility to act in a way that's loving. And then Paul spends two verses reiterating the meaning of marriage. In the last verse, he, he summarizes the command of both husbands and wives. So... Wives, you can hang in there. Don't check out. Husbands will be addressed and, and, and more so in just a few minutes. For those who aren't married, this scripture is for your benefit as well. You see, if marriages fall apart, it's not good for the church. It's not good for society. It's not how God intended things. So if you're not married, you can be a help to those who are married. This is a way that you can, by paying attention today about this lesson about husbands and wives, you can help serve other people in the church and help them be the husband that God's calling them to be. Be the wife that God's calling them to be. You see, we're all part of the church and we're all in this together. We need each other, um, irrespective of whether our marital status, what our marital status is. We need each other in the church. We need people who are not married. We need married people. We need, sing we need people who are children. We need older people. We need people of all kinds because God has made the church to be a diverse body to care for each other. So don't check out if you're not married, or if you're a, a child, don't check out either. If your parents are in the room, listen closely. This passage is meant to be for your benefit because if your parents are in a healthy marriage, it's gonna make for a good home. Where your parents are carrying out the roles in the way that God honors, you're gonna thrive. But in the meanwhile, if you are a teen and you're in here today, you can listen and think, okay, how can I respectfully help my parents? Parents, be open to the input of your children. It's, it's not wrong to go and say, hey, where do you think I can love, love mom better? And I bet your kids might have some ideas. My, my kids have ideas for me. Um, you, wives, you might go to your kids and say, hey, 
You've seen how I am in the home. Where can I respect your dad more? How can I show him respect? And, and I'm, I'm guessing your kids will be able to help you there. So if you're a child, meanwhile, help. Don't be sassy. Don't be disrespectful. This is not license to have an attitude, but humbly ask questions. Don't assume you're correct. Listen closely today so you can go to your parents and say, hey, um, are you struggling in this area? Is there any way I can help you? That's, that's how the church is meant to function together. We're meant to function together as a body, caring for each other. Each member is different, but every member does its part. So this morning, we're going to begin where Scripture does. Really, the main idea of the whole section is clear, and that's, it's simple. It's that husbands and wives are to reflect Christ and the church in marriage. Husbands and wives are to reflect Christ and the church in their marriage. Equally, in the same way, not, not similar roles, but in the same way, husbands and wives are equally to reflect the picture of Christ and the church in marriage. And the whole paradigm for marriage, the Apostle Paul is writing about some model of Christ's love for the church and his submission to Jesus. When Adam and Eve were were made one from the very beginning, God intended that the church would be a picture, that marriage would be a picture of the relationship that God intended for mankind. But because man sinned, our relationship with God was lost and marriage and relationships in general became all about us, all about what we could get and they resulted really in a whole lot of mess. But Jesus has come to redeem a bride, a people, his church, and to reveal that the purpose of marriage is to show his love for his bride. So Christian marriage is meant to reflect the marriage of Christ in the church. In the first place we see this reflection is in verse 22 where it says, Wives, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so the first point that we're going to look at is that, wives, how, how are you a picture of Christ in the church? Wives, you are called to be a picture of how the church relates to Jesus. You're called to be a picture of how the church relates to Jesus. Pictures are meant to function, to point us to something. I, I, love, I love the pictures that I've seen of the islands of Hawaii. They look beautiful. The beaches look spectacular. The mountains look amazing. The volcanoes look powerful and grand. And uh, the jungles look lush. And, and the pictures, they do something. They paint a scene for you. They, they show something preferable. They create a longing for something. And it creates a desire to, to go there, to explore the beauty of Hawaii someday for myself. Wives, in a similar way, you're, you're to paint a beautiful picture of the love that the church has for Christ. To show how great is the love of Jesus in your marriage relationship by how you submit to your husband's. That's, that's meant to be the way that you can reflect and show the picture of who Jesus is and who the church is as it relates to Christ. In Christian marriage, the wife's to be like a picture of how the church relates to Jesus. And it's meant to create a desire for others to know him and to want him and to see that he transforms lives. In this relationship, though, it's not primarily about her husband. It says... As to the Lord. It's about her relationship with Jesus lived out in the context of her relationship with her husband. And it's important to note that at the very outset that men and women were created equal in God's image. We are equally image bearers. A man is not more worth 
worthy than a woman. A woman is not more worthy than a man. We are equally created in the image of God, equal in value, equal in worth. And so when you read this passage, don't read it with some some mistaken notion that the idea of submission is inferior. It's no more than inferior than it is that Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit, they have mutual submission to God the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. Jesus submits to the Father. There's nothing inferior about the Trinity. There's nothing inferior about Jesus. And that's a picture of submission, not because of differences in equality, differences in value, but because of a, the way that God has designed roles to work together, the way that he's intended for things to work in a way that shows him and shows his glory. And so when Paul talks about families here, he's talking about families based on the created order of God, and he's talking about a, a voluntary submission of a wife to a husband. And, and guys, this command is from God through his word to your wife. This is not from you to your wife. This is not a passage you should be quoting, guys, to your wives. You shouldn't be quoting, wives, submit to your husbands. If you do, something's wrong. If, you, if, you're, if you're bringing this area up to your wife in that way, woman, submit. You, you've got problems. That's not what God intended. That's not what God designed. This word from Scripture is to your wife from God. But husbands, you're not called to make your wife submit, to yell her into submission, to threaten her, to force her, to coerce her. Too many men today, they, they act more like Jabba the Hutt, slovingly just kind of commanding those around them and, and ordering the people around them, throwing verses on submission, demanding they be treated well when they have no right to behave that way. And that, that kind of behavior, it's going to be outlawed in a few verses from now you're going to see that I, I should never even be thinking that way. In wives, though, the command from God is to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's not because your husband is, has earned the right for you to submit to him. And it doesn't mean his leadership is perfect. And if that was a prerequisite, nobody would submit to their husband because no husband's perfect. We're to submit to the Lord, wives, in the same way that Scripture tells us in Colossians 3.17. It says, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a voluntary submission as part of submission to Jesus. And it's not to be understood outside of that. Now, I'm going to draw attention to that really important point. It says, as unto the Lord. It does not say that your husband is your Lord. That is a mistaken translation of this verse. He's not to be treated that way. You're to submit to him as you submit to Christ like that, in that way. But Christ is your Lord. There is no other. Submission as well can never be contradictory to what Christ commands. If a husband asks the wife to disobey God or do something immoral or illegal, something that violates her conscience, she should not do it. It's very clear. Scripture in so many other places. This is not license for the husband to demand the wife goes along with his wishes. The wife is, as unto the Lord, primarily accountable to God. Primarily accountable to God. And if her husband ever calls her to disobey God or do something immoral or illegal or harmful or abusive or violates her conscience, you're not to submit to your husband in those things. At times, sadly, there's many ungodly husbands who 
wives are confused. How do I relate to an ungodly man when I'm in a marriage that's not a godly marriage and he's not following the Lord? How do I submit to that guy? What does that look like? It's a very real scenario that's it's prevalent in many places. Submission is primarily about an attitude or disposition. It's, it's not talking about slavish obedience. And I like the way that, that Kent Hughes puts it when he said that the fact that a wife wants to honor her husband's leadership, if possible, does not mean she will sit in mute silence. Questioning his reasoning or acquainting him with his error is not evidence of a rebellious spirit, but rather of love. Sometimes it can be loving. It can often be loving to question his reasoning. Are you, what in the world are you thinking? Maybe do it a little more lovingly like that. What are you, honey, what are you thinking here? Because it's, you're not making any sense. Questioning his reasoning or acquainting him with his error. I, I like the way that he put that, as if you're introducing him to his error as a long-lost companion. Hello, hi, have you seen this? This is your error. You need to be introduced to him. Acquainting your husband with his error, it's not rebellious. It's not out of line but it's rather loving. Refusing to support his moral folly is not sin. A Christian wife can stand with Christ against her husband with a humble, loving spirit, which indicates her longing to honor his leadership. And when he's saying against her husband, he doesn't mean like you are against him and that you're not for him. He's saying against your husband's folly, against your husband's errors, against the ways that your husband may be sinning. But you can do that with a humble, loving spirit, with a longing to honor his leadership. And if you are in that situation, married to a difficult man, please know that you're, you're not alone. Our hearts go out to you. Our concern is with you. More importantly, Christ's heart goes out to you. You, you are not alone. You're in a difficult place. And we know that you're faced with difficult decisions every day and your detentions of how in the world do I honor God and be with this guy who is not honoring God. But I know that God will give you grace as you desire to be the wife he's calling you to be, even if that may look like lovingly confronting, if it might look like lovingly pointing out errors and disagreeing at times with an attitude of humility. I, can, I believe that there will be a great reward for you in heaven for your labors. I want to commend you as you're seeking to honor God. God will enable you he will support you. He will strengthen you. You are not alone. And that's the other reason why he's given us the church. It's because we, we need each other. So if you're in that situation, I'd encourage you, go and find another godly woman to help you. How can I, how can I love my wife? Now, don't be telling stories about your husband and gossiping about him and, and telling how bad he is. Just say, hey, what are some ideas? How can I love him? Make it about you, not about him. We, we need each other in the church. Husbands, though, it's not a license to act like you're the Lord of your wife and domineer. Verse 23, it gives the motivation for the wife loving this way. It says, the, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. The head of marriage is meant to be the husband, as seen the very beginning of humanity, when God created man and woman. And Paul is using an argument here from Genesis. He's, he's using the logic of, God created man and woman in that order, and man was meant to be the head of woman, but he's meant to do that in, in a mutual, caring way. 
Now, I know this is a hard thing for a lot of women to hear that the man is the head of a marriage relationship. And here's the reason why it's primarily hard. It's because men, we've failed at our jobs. And so many men in the world have failed to be the kind of husband that God calls us to be. And it's hard because there's so many men who are hard to follow and so many men who are domineering and abusive and poor leaders. There's so many men who are lazy and selfish and maybe you're here and you're a domineering, lazy, selfish leader. You shouldn't be listening to this message for your wife. It's the cause of such difficulty and pain for women when a wife has this kind of husband and she hears this scripture, it's, it's hard and understandably so. But the kind of headship the Bible is speaking about here is the way that Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And to say that Christ is the head of the church and his savior, it, it means that he is all about her good. See, the husband's meant to be the head of the wife in the way that Christ is the head of the church for her good, to, to help her, to care for her. The husband has responsibility for his wife, but he is not the savior. Christ is the savior. He's the savior of the body, not the husband. But just like the savior came to die for the church, so husbands are called to be the head of their wives in that way, in that loving, redemptive manner. So Jesus expresses his headship of the church by serving the church, by giving himself up for the church, by loving the church, by dying for the church. And we're gonna focus on that in a few verses, but this has some serious implications for what the husband's called to in marriage. And then in verse 24, it continues on with the wife's role, and it says, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. It, wives, you're to submit to your husbands not because they're, they're worthy, but because you're submitting to Jesus. Because his love compels you. And you submit to Jesus voluntarily because he has given his life for us. There's no fear that Jesus is going to abuse the church. There's no fear that he's going to provide for his bride. There's no fear that he's going to abuse his bride. You see, Jesus gave everything for his bride, the church, to rescue the church, to save a people to himself. And although we must submit to his headship, to receive salvation, when, when we're submitting to Jesus, we're, we're submitting to his headship freely. We, we're not being coerced to submit to Jesus. We do that because he died for us and he loves us and he's cared for us. And so in the same way, wives, submission to your husband is to be free and voluntary. It can't be forced. I want you to think about that for a moment though because Think about how the church submits to Christ. See, the church gladly submits to Jesus. The church gladly submits to the kind of beneficial rule of Christ. He's the chief cornerstone, it tells us in Ephesians, on whom the whole building of the church is constructed. Jesus, it says in Ephesians, is the one who fills and empowers and enables the church and builds the church up in himself. He's the one who gives church gifts. He's the one who gives the church various roles. He's the one who enables everyone to do their part. The whole body is built up. And so when we submit to Jesus and wives, when you're submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord, it's, it's because of what Christ has done for you. And it's, it's not subjugating you. It's not making you lesser. It's not making you inferior any more than Jesus is inferior to God. But it's an attitude that you're, you're being urged to develop towards your husband because you're meant to be a picture of Christ, the, the church relating to Christ. 
and, and remember that. It's, it's all in the context of the fact that the husband and the wife, it says they've been joined together as one flesh in one body. They've been, the two have become one. Think about for a moment if you saw a body walking around and the body had two heads. And one head wanted to go this way and one head wanted to go that way. It would be confusing. It would be definitely be an anomaly. It would not be a good design for a body. And so in a similar way, in, in marriage, where there's not to be two heads. It doesn't function. It's, it's, not, it's not how God intended. That would be an anomaly here. But also, at the same time, husbands, if you're thinking about, okay, I'm the head. Well, really, have you ever seen a head cut off from the body function very well? A head needs the body just like the body needs a head. We need each other to function. It's not demeaning. It finds its purpose in God and his desires for us. It's not demeaning or stifling or degrading to submit to Jesus. It's freeing and liberating and joy-filled and, 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 and you find rest and satisfaction as we submit ourselves to Christ. And so what this is meant to be for wives is not to meant to, be, to subject you, for, to be humiliating, to be demeaning. It's meant to be liberating and freeing to say, God wants you to be free to be the woman who he's called you to be so that you can be more fruitful, so that you can show more glory and honor to God. And husbands, as we transition to you, nowhere in Scripture are you ever commanded to exercise your leadership. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? Nowhere in Scripture does it say, husbands, exercise your headship. Rule as a head of your wife. There's, there's no passage that says, husbands, be the head of your wife. Husbands, you need to exercise authority and leadership and you need to dominate your wives. That's not present. And the command here, it's shocking. You, you might think, if the husband's the head of the wife, well, then shouldn't be there be instruction about being the head of the wife to the husband? Isn't that what Scripture should primarily focus on? Well, that's, that's not what Scripture focuses on. You see, instead, it gives us a shocking and daunting command to your husbands. And it's an all-encompassing command, and it says, Husbands, your call is to love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. And think about that. How did Jesus give himself up for the church? He did it completely. He did it with everything he was. He died for the church. And so the second point we see is that the main point for the husbands is that husbands are called to reflect how Jesus relates to the church. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, and maybe you just stopped at love your wives and you're thinking, okay, that's pretty easy. I can do that, right? I love my wife and I have affection for her. I love my wife. Everything's great. This is an easy passage. I got this down pat. I'm good. I'm cool. But don't forget the other words here, guys. It says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's think for a minute. What did that look like? You see, think about the fact that God the Son. He was perfectly happy with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven. They were complete. They were not in need of anything. They didn't need humanity. God didn't create mankind because he was like, I'm lonely. No, he was perfectly fulfilled in himself. He wasn't looking to be satisfied and propped up. He wasn't looking to be fulfilled. He was perfectly fulfilled 
the right hand of the Father in heaven. He didn't have any need, no want, no lack, no deficiency. God, Jesus didn't have this man-shaped hole in his heart. He didn't crave the affections of man to be satisfied. But God so loved the world that those who were hostile, who he created for his glory to reflect his image, those who he made to be image bearers who rebelled against him, God so loved those who were dead set against him that he sent his son to the earth to become man. And Jesus so loved you and me, so loved those the Father had given him that he willingly gave up his place of glory. He stepped away from that. And what did he do? For all eternity, he took on humanity. The limitless, eternal God with no boundaries in any way confined himself, at least partially in some way, it's hard to get, he confined himself to human flesh. He intentionally limited himself. Now he's, he's still in control of all things. He's still over all things. But he humbled himself and became a man. Talk about coming down to our level. Talk about not... Not being judgmental. Talk about saying, how can I convince them? How can I show them my love? How they, they need to be transformed and no one else will rescue them. No one else can save them. None of them is good enough. I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to be like them so that they may be saved. You know, think about ants. We have lots of ants here in the south. We have some relatives from up north who came to visit us on Thanksgiving and they were shocked about fire ants that we have here. Think about all the fire ants we have around here and um, not many of us love fire ants, I'm, I'm guessing. I have, I have this hate relationship for fire ants. It's not a love-hate relationship, it's a hate relationship for fire ants. And, and I spread poison all over my yard and I know that I'm ecologically unfriendly and I'm sure I'm gonna get complaints about that and how awful that is for the environment, but I wanna kill them all. And so we spread things in our yard to kill the ants. Now that's, that's not a loving disposition to those ants. That's hostile because they're hostile towards me. They're hostile to my kids. They bite them. They cause pain. They cause pain to me. We cause pain to, to God. We're hostile to God. We're enemies to God. And yet God's disposition to us is not to wipe us out. God's disposition to us was for Jesus to so love us that he became one of us. Imagine becoming a fire ant to save the fire ants. That just sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? And it is ludicrous, by the way. But even more ludicrous is amazing, really, the fact that Jesus became man because he loved his church. He loved the people that God had given to him. So he endured mocking and ridicule and abuse and he endured arrogant people who rightly should, rightfully should have bowed to worship him wherever he went, but instead they sought to use him or mock him or abuse him. Instead of worship, they plotted to kill him. And then what did Jesus do? He could have commanded 10,000 angels at any moment. And think about from our study way back a couple years ago in Genesis. And when one angel, he routes thousands of people. And he could have commanded thousands of angels to wipe out everybody. And say, look, really? Pilate, really? What a joke. What a mock trial. I'm done. Boom, you're gone. 
And yet he, he didn't. He willingly allowed himself to be captured and submitted to an unjust trial with trumped up charges. He was bitten. He was whipped for the church. He was endured ridicule and a painful crown of thorns was shoved in his head. And then he carried a tree. The one who was the creator of all who made trees. How belittling and humbling is that? Was hung on a tree as a curse in our place. He did all that so that he might save the church. And he did all that so that whosoever might believe in him would have eternal life. Be saved from their sins and from the wrath of God that we deserve. Husbands, what kind of treatment do you think your wife deserves? It doesn't matter. That's not how Christ interacts with us. He does not treat us according to how we deserve. Oh, that's crushing. This passage is like being in the ring with Mike Tyson for 12 rounds. If you remember who Mike Tyson is, if you're under 30, you probably don't. Uh, he, he had a famous bout where in 44 seconds, he, he knocked out that time the heavyweight champion of the world, and in 44 seconds, the fight was over. The scripture can be like that, but it's not hitting us to knock us down it's hitting us hard for our good to, to, to encourage us to change, to be conformed into the image of Christ. So when Paul says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, it means everything. It means that husbands, our love for our wives is not conditional. And it's not based on whether they earn our affections or merit our affections or whether they do what we want them to do. It's not a conditional love. Think about how Jesus loves us when none of us deserved it. That's how husbands are to love their wives. So wives, you were thinking, oh, you were having a hard time earlier? <laughs> Guys, you should be having a hard time right now too. Our love is not to be based on whether our wives ever return our affections or love us the way that we love them. There's no way we could ever love Christ the way that he's loved us, and yet he loves us with an unstoppable love. Our love's not meant to be self-serving, man. It's, it's Christ humbled himself and gave himself up for us. He did everything for us. All of his work was on behalf of and for and with the church in mind. Gentlemen, when you are working, when you are at home, is whatever you're doing, are you aware of, not only am I living in such a way that I'm honoring God and everything, but am I as a husband working for my wife's best interest? And everything that I do, am I, am I, am I desiring to provide for her? Guys, maybe you're not being diligent and faithful and you need to be a better provider. Maybe you need to get a steady job. This doesn't make condemn those who, who can't find work, but if you are not in, employed currently and you're not looking for a job, the scripture speaks to you. This is a way that you love your wife by working hard, by providing, by caring for needs. Don't begrudge working for her benefit. Jesus didn't begrudge all of the work that he did on the earth for our benefit. Are you glad to give everything up for her? Do you endure? Are you, 
Are you patient with her when she fails as Christ is lovingly patient with us when we fail? Sadly, I know that as I was preparing this message, I really didn't want to preach on this today. <laughs> as, as a pastor, there are those moments where you have scriptures that you're thinking, I, I, just, I just don't do this very well. How can I encourage others to do this? Well, my confidence is not in my ability to completely carry this out, to obey and to be the preeminent model, but my confidence is in the fact that Jesus was the preeminent model and I can point to him and say there's hope in him because he transforms losers like me and you to be conformed to his image and that he has our good in mind. So I'm confident. Why? Because this passage is for our good. It's for the transformation of the church so we might be salt and light in the world, so we might be witnesses, so that we might be more effective in our mission as we go to our neighbors and our neighbors see our marriages and see how we love our wives and say, oh my goodness, I want that. I want to be like that guy. I can't understand that. How in the world are you patient like that? How in the world are you so self-giving and sacrificing? How in the world do you give up your hobbies for her hobbies? How do you do those things? That's amazing. Your marriage is incredible and it's meant to be a picture that points and compels people to the marriage of Christ in the church. And so we can look to scriptures like this and, and we'll find conviction. We find hope. Now, gentlemen, it is easy at times if we have, or easier if we have a godly wife who submits to our leadership to love her. But here's the other problem that sometimes is introduced. Here's a problem that I have. My wife is a very godly woman. Um, she, is, she models what does it look like to be a, a woman who desires to submit to her husband. And I don't say that to brag on her, but, I, it's, but here's the temptation for me is because of that, it's easy for me to be lazy. It's easy to be lazy instead of getting up and getting something for myself or for her, caring for her needs and serving her. It's easy to let my wife care for me and, and serve me. Gentlemen, if, if you are just, your wife is, is there and you're, you're sitting in front of the TV and you're watching a show and, and you're thinking, hmm, I'm kind of hungry. Or, uh, I, could, I could use a cold one. Um, you, you can't just be like, um, hey woman, go get me. No, think, okay, wait a minute. What, what would she be desiring? What would she be wanting right now? How can I serve her? Instead of just finding it easy because you know sometimes you can drop these little subtle hints like, man, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? <laughs> I'm really thirsty. Are you thirsty? And then you know a godly wife might say, well, um, yeah, I'm really hungry. Would you, would you like me to get you something to eat? <laughs> and we can really easily do that little like planting those little thoughts because we're being lazy really. And, and, and guys, don't act like you don't do that. You do, I do, we all do that. I even tell myself it's because she's better at finding things and, and that's partially true. <laughs> I, can't, I can't find much of anything in the house and just when I, I get the whole system down pat, things seem to shift. And I, I told my wife, Julie, I think, you, I think you move things just so that I am dependent upon you because I just learned the system and then like everything's changed. But, but that's an excuse too, right? I mean, I, I need to, to make an effort to, to figure out, okay, what system are we using now? And how can I find things? And I need to get better at that and just be okay with being adult when it comes to finding stuff in the house. 
Men, before you spend money on your hobby or spend time doing what you want to do apart from your wife, and let me ask a question. If you find that you are often apart from your wife pursuing your own endeavors, your own hobbies, your, your own things, and you are not spending time with your wife pursuing her endeavors and what she enjoys, then you may have some priorities that are out of whack. Consider instead, how can I serve my wife? How can I spend time with her? How can I do what's best for her good and her enjoyment? Um, men, for a lot of us, and for me as well, going shopping is like visiting the gates of hell. It's, it's not a good, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place of torture. At times, I just, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't like going anywhere near that. But sometimes, you know, I shop for my wife's good. And, and I know that, you know what, we've got six kids. Oh my goodness, we have six kids at home. And that's a lot. And so Julie has her hands full. And so if I'm done with a meeting or if I'm on the way home from work, often I'll stop off at the store, not because I just love going to stores, but say, honey, what do you need? It's not because I'm a great husband, because I'm, I'm trying to, as, in a very faulty way, apply this same passage to myself. I can think of so many different good examples of husbands, how you do that for your wives. And these are just some small ways. And it's seen in the everyday areas of life where you give up your desires and your preferences for your wife's good. And sometimes it might mean, you know what? She wants to go shopping. I want to watch the game. Oh, babe, let's go shopping. As painful as that might be. Christ didn't wait to be served. He washed his disciples' feet. He was patient with them. He cared about them, even when they're proud and argued about who was greater right after he told them that he was gonna go die for them. There's a point in his ministry where he says, the, the Son of Man must go and die. And I'm on my way to go and die. I, I, I must die for you. And then a few minutes later, they're on the way, they're on the road, and the disciples are having a big argument about who's the greatest one among them. Among them. And yet Jesus is patient with them. Husbands, we're commanded to be patient, to love our wives in a way that's patient. It's not conditional. It's an unwavering commitment to our wives for their good. It's loving our wives not just um, by giving them money to go shopping, just by, by enabling them to do things. It's, it's by loving them emotionally and caring for them when, when they may get emotional from time to time, like we can be as well. It's also, we're called to love them physically, to show them affection and care and respect and to seek to protect them out of love. It's, it's not limited to one area of our lives. It, it's emotional it's physical. It's, it's a matter of the will. We're called to take initiative in loving our wives. Christ took an initiative to love us first. It says we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We're to love our wives in that first loving kind of way. And all throughout the Gospels, Jesus, he is a man on a mission. He has set his face towards Jerusalem to the place where he's going to give up everything for the church and work to set our face towards that direction where we're going to give up our lives for our wives and we're resolved to love our wives no matter the cost. 
This, this kind of love, husbands, it, it takes away any, any excuse for abuse. It takes away any excuse for misuse. It takes away any excuse for being domineering, for being manipulative or unkind. This kind of love says it's not okay to victimize your wife. It's not okay to demand that she serve you in your whims. This kind of love says get up off your duffs. Do things for your wife that show our love and bless our wives. This, this, kind, of light, this kind of love means that we sacrifice our interests for her interests, our good and welfare for her good and welfare. And, and let me say, husbands, if you are loving like this, there's gonna be no concern for being overbearing. In all marriage, all areas of marriage, if they were, if they were lavished this, with this kind of forgiving and merciful love, it would transform marriage. Husbands, do you want your wife to change? Here's what you need to do. Love your wife. Do you want your wife to grow? Oh, love your wife. Do you want your wife to, to learn to submit to you? Be someone who's, 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 who's loving your wife in a way that she'll want to submit to you. Do you want your wives to change and honor God in areas? Love your wife. It's the love that gives up our own needs for the needs of our spouse. It's the kind of love that demonstrates the power of God to change fallen humanity that's dominated by sin and selfishness and self-centeredness that only seeks its own interests. And look in verse 26. It says that, here's the goal for husbands, is to love in this way. It says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The goal of our love, it's, it's not to be loved in return. The goal is so we might help her be sanctified. The way that we help her, the way we love her, it's to cleanse her by washing her with the water of the word. And that's a, a beautiful picture here of in Jewish marriage, before the marriage ceremony, one of the final things that the bride would do is she would go and she would be bathed. She would, she would go and, and have a cleansing time. And it was meant to be a picture, really, of a preparation. And then we see in Ezekiel when, when God talks to Israel and he, he tells Israel who they are. And he says in verse 8 of Ezekiel 16, he says, I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you with water washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of porpoise skin on your feet and I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck and I put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. And it's this same kind of washing, adorning love that we're to have for our wives. The goal is that we might present her to Christ. That we might be a means and a tool. And when Christ is purifying his bride, we might be one of those means that helps our wives be presented that way. And adorned in beauty and in splendor. And the second goal we find is in verse 27 where it says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And there's a beautiful picture in marriage of 
After the marriage preparation, the bride would undergo, she would put on her, her cleanest, most pure garments and go and stand and be presented to the husband. And one day, all of us who are in Christ Jesus, he will one day make it so that there's no spot, no wrinkle. We've already been washed by him, completely forgiven by him, made clean. Our, the stain has been taken away. In his blood we've been made new. And one day we're going to be presented before him without spot or wrinkle. And husbands, our goal is to be a part of helping our wives become spotless without wrinkle. Helping present them in that perfect and complete way, beautiful in his sight. And thirdly, the goal of our love is not for our own benefit, it's that our wives might be without blemish, so they might be holy and without blemish. And then in verse 28, it says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own body, he who loves his wife loves himself. Think about it, men, you don't need encouragement to, to know when you're hungry. You don't need encouragement to know when you're tired. You don't need encouragement to know how you're feeling. Well, m- maybe to express it, but not to know that something's wrong. You don't need encouragement to, to know that, you know what, I, I'm thirsty. You don't need encouragement to clothe yourself. You don't need encouragement to know when you're tired. And so it's not saying, love yourself, husbands. It's saying, you already love yourself. Love your wives like you love yourself. Give her that same kind of thoughtfulness throughout the day, constantly. You're constantly aware of how you're loving yourself. Be aware of your wife and her desires and her needs in the same way. It says in verse 29, for no one ever hated his flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Our love is to be nourishing and cherishing. It's to, to feed and care for us, to be wholeheartedly, tenderly cherishing, holding our wives dearer than anyone else. To romantically pursue, to value our wives. And in verse 30 says, why? Because we are members of his body. And I want to close as we, as we, just one final point. It's really that why are we given these commands? We're given these commands. We're called to different roles in marriage because, here's the point, we're given these different roles in marriage because Christ has made us a part of his body already. Because we've already been made a part of his body. Because we are members of his body, we are to love each other, submit to each other like this. We are husbands. We're to love our wives like this. Wives are to submit to your husbands. Why? Because you are members of his body. In the body, every role is equally important. In a marriage, we have specific parts to play. One is not inferior to the other. Because we're cared for and loved by Christ, because we've been redeemed and made a part of his body, because he's called us and our hope is in him now. Because of this, we're to treat each other the way that scripture tells us, because we're members of his body. Not to earn membership in his body. And Paul, he points to the basis for all of what he's been saying. He points back to Genesis. He points back to the created order. And he says in verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting here from Genesis. And in that context, the woman was taken from the side of man and in order to be his companion, a suitable helper made in his image of God. And then the narrative says, this is why. He says that... that it was for the purpose of a man and a woman to become one flesh. 
And then Paul is saying, and this mystery, this great mystery that was the created order, when God created man and woman, he meant man and woman together in marriage to be a picture of something far greater than man ever realized until Christ has come now to redeem mankind and show the purpose of marriage from the very beginning was so that ultimately it might speak of the union of Christ and the church and the desire, the relationship that God desires to have with mankind. The purpose of marriage is meant to be a model of love that Jesus has for the church. Christian marriage is meant to be a picture of his loving, Jesus' loving, his responsive church. And the good news is that he's come and he's made us a part of his body. He's made us his own. And because he's made us his own, we can be secure in who God's called us to be in the, in the roles that God's given us to be. Because we're members of his body, we can be assured that what God's calling you here to will not be too difficult for you because he loves you and he's for you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. And then he closes out this exhortation to husbands and wives and he says it's not just a bunch of vague commands. He sums it up in verse 33. He says, Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife as himself. The wife see to it that she respects her husband. The theology of marriage, he's saying, it's profound and it's meant to have profound implications. It's meant to be seen simply and practically. So Paul reminds us in this last verse, a brief summary, what does God command us? What does he say to us? Everybody who's a Christian is to love his own wife as himself. The wife's to respect his husband, her husband. Gentlemen, your authority is to be carried out in a loving, self-giving way. Women, your wives, you're, you're to respect your husband's calling the head of the marriage in your attitude and your actions. For both husbands and wives, this kind of marriage, it's, it's meant to deepen your own love for God it's meant to point to the redemptive power of Jesus in the gospel. It's for our good, though, as well. It's for our enjoyment. And you will find, husbands, as you're loving your wives this way, that you will enjoy your wife more. You will enjoy your marriage more. It will help you enjoy your relationship with God more, wives, when you're relating to your husbands in this way. You will find it will actually stimulate you to love God even more and enjoy your relationship with him. But as we close, I want to say that all of us have failed to live like this. Everyone who's married in this room has failed in some way. There's no one here who can say they live perfectly, they've obeyed God perfectly, they submitted perfectly, they love their wives perfectly. But here's, here's the amazing hope that we have. Because Jesus has washed us already, we have hope. Because he's made us clean, we have hope. Because he has made us his bride, we have hope. Because he is for us and not against us, we have hope. Because nothing will separate us from him, we have hope. He's making us into his image day by day. He's enabling us, he's empowering us. And when we fail and we fall short because we will, we can rest in his forgiveness knowing he's made us clean and he's at work in us. And he is united at one with us. And he's not, he's not gonna let us fail. 
He's one with us. He's, he's working for our good in everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is piercing. God, I thank you for the gift of conviction, but Lord, I pray that there would be no condemnation for all of us who have fallen short in loving our wives like we should or wives loving husbands like they should. God, I pray there would not be condemnation, but Lord, I do pray for conviction and I pray for encouragement and hope that is found in the fact that you have made us brand new and that you're going to enable us to do this because it, Lord, it displays you. Father, I pray that there be hope for marriage relationships here today. God, I pray for those struggling in their marriages that you would give fresh hope not in their spouse, not in their own ability, but God, give fresh hope in you, you who are the one who has made us your bride. You came and sought us out to redeem us. And so God, our hope, Jesus, is in you. I pray that you would encourage us this morning in your name. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. And